0: And welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my beautiful wife, Janet. And today we have the pleasure of having Lori Powell on again, um, talking about her overall health journey. And today she's going to be discussing how her husband's untimely death from cancer affected her overall health, mental and physical. So, Lori, I'm going to let you take it from there.
1: Well, thank you for welcoming me back one more time. I just love showing up on your show every week. Thank you so much for that. And I just want to do just a little just sort of like a recap and kind of give people a timeline. As 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 I've I as I've been on the show for the last three weeks, we talked about my health journey. We talked about how that looked and what that looked like and my addiction. And and really when I look at my life, addiction was the first thing that we that really, you know, happened in my life. And then When I got into recovery, that's when I really began my health journey, and I shared a little bit about that last, uh, the first time I was on with you, and the thing I'll share with you is when I got into recovery, when I walked through the doors of the treatment center, I was 95 pounds dripping wet. I, I had, I think I shared, I had the, I was, I lived on the Scarface diet, which was no food and all drugs, and that just wasn't a very good, good diet, of course, and when I left the facility, I think I gained about five pounds, 100 pounds. When I walked Out of the treatment facility and decided that it's time to take control of my life and and i started my health journey then with my boyfriend at the time he and i had been in in active addiction using drugs together he had gotten into recovery first and i followed suit about nine months later and so we were in a relationship we'd been in a relationship for a couple of years before we both got into recovery and so we get clean, we're living life, we're going to the gym, we get a Dalmatian dog and a Siamese cat at the same time. Don't ask me why, it was a nightmare. The cat would knock stuff off the cupboards, the dog would eat it off the floor and you'd wake up in the morning and there'd be food everywhere. And then they'd race across the bed in the middle of the night. It was just just a fun, it's like having toddlers when you weren't even expecting children. But anyway, that's another story. Um, but we would go to the gym and we'd work out and we would run and we ate healthy. And and the thing that my, my first husband, his name was Dan. He loved diet Coke. I don't know why that stuff was gross. I think it's still gross today. I don't drink, I don't drink diet soda of any kind. I think it just doesn't, it has a terrible aftertaste, but that's just my opinion. But we were very diligent about our, our exercise and our activity. And when I had about 50 days clean, I think I shared this on the on the one podcast, he was diagnosed with malignant melanoma skin cancer. And at the time it, we were told by the physicians that this cancer, if it was to come back, if is what they said, if it comes back, it will come back in his lungs or his brain and it will take his life. And so I was of course, a little bit scared, remind you, I had just come out of a treatment program, 50, 50 days clean from drugs and alcohol. And I'm thinking to myself, this is really not what I signed up for. Am I going to be able to stay clean? Number one, is that my, was my priority. I need to stay clean because if he's sick, I need to be able to take care of him. And so, you know, we continued to to stay on that health journey. We um, did everything that the doctors, you know, said to do. You know, kept doing exams. And went to the doctor every six months. And and at about two years clean and sober, I decided to go into a training program. I went to Vancouver, Washington. Lived in Walla Walla and moved over to Vancouver for a year and got into a training program. And while I was in that training program near the end of that year, he had a relapse with his cancer. And that was a little bit tough because I was so far away and he had to go through treatment while I was actually back in uh, when I was in Vancouver. On the weekends, I would commute. I'd come home, spend time with him. And we were still trying to maintain a healthy lifestyle if you, you know, if you can when you're dealing with cancer. You know? And the thing I, I found for me when he was going through this battle in that, in that first two years was I did things like I started, I signed up and I got massage therapy. I would go to a massage therapist and I would have a massage every two weeks because I needed something to relax myself. Um, you know, and while he was, you know, in the beginning stages and while we, when I first got into recovery, I gained a few pounds, even though we were working out. And, and when he got sick in the beginning, it was, you know, it was, um, it was hard, it was scary. And then we kind of let the brakes off before he had his second diagnosis. And, um, we were still trying to be healthy, but I had gained up to 40 pounds more than I was normally carrying, used to carrying around. And, I, at, at that time, I was feeling really uncomfortable in my own skin, and so it was kind of hard. But I was trying to focus on him, and I was trying to work. And then, when I got home from that training program, we had made the decision to get married. I actually proposed to him and said, "Let's get married." And I didn't even—we didn't even pick a date. We just called an event center and said, "When's your first date available?" And they told me, and I was like, "Okay, I'll take it." Two o'clock on a Tuesday, September twenty-fourth, I got married in the outside—you know—it's a little garden center in, in Walla Walla, and it was. Just to, you know, bring your own food. It was a very, I don't want to call it a shotgun wedding because nobody was pregnant, but it was kind of felt like that because it was just planned. It was handwritten invitations, facts to friends and family, Hey, if you can make it. Because it was only like 25 days away, right? We made the reservation 25 yeah. days later, we were getting married. And after we had gotten married, he had actually had his third relapse. And, you know, I got to tell you, during that third relapse, he actually was confined to a wheelchair. His physical health started to really decline. The, the, the tumors had come back in his bones. His bones started to disintegrate. His, back, his his spine started to collapse. The tumors were eating away at the bone. And he then, created, then went into his lungs, which then caused him to have problems with breathing. And so you know during this time as he's going through this process i'm trying to work a part-time job and also be his caregiver as much as i possibly could and the mental stress was immense and i at that time in my life i reverted to the no eat diet and the no eat diet was we didn't eat real food we would eat things like candy bars we'd eat popsicles we'd sit on the back porch and we would just sit there and, and when he relapsed on the third round of his, his relapse with his cancer, he decided it was okay to start smoking again, which was to me, one of the things I was like, you can't smoke, you're going to get sick. And I was like, he already is sick, silly. You know, and he said to me, I didn't have cancer when I was smoking. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to try to have an argument with this young man. I was just like, okay, okay. I'm, I'm just going to let you do what you got to do. And it was really difficult for me knowing that he was doing things that were actually making him sicker and he couldn't hear me and he couldn't, he had already made up his mind that he was going to do this no matter what I said. And th- so the thing I had to learn to do was love him unconditionally, let him do the, go through the process that he needed to go through. And And it was a very difficult time for both of us. Now, both of us have been clean and in recovery for, at that time, I think I was coming up, I think I had a little over four years clean, and he had just getting ready to celebrate five years clean. And so we went through this seven or eight month period where we just tried to manage his life with chemotherapy and then experimental treatments. And and we were actually, we had gone to the University of Washington. And I gotta tell you, we had d- tried experimental things that didn't work. We were getting ready to get on a plane to go to Mexico to do an even more uh, homeopathic experimental treatment. And we, um, he decided at the last minute he's not going. And I have to tell you during this time, as I'm going to work, part-time, I am actually working in the drug and alcohol treatment field, and I'm trying to help other recovering people, other people who have problems with addiction. I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to encourage. I'm trying to impart wisdom. I'm trying to encourage. I'm trying to help other people while my husband's home, sick and dying. And it was such a battle. It was so difficult mentally, emotionally. And I just had to really put on that Game face is what I'm going to call it. I'd put on that game face that when I get home from work, I've got to be positive. I have to be upbeat. Um, I have to really be focused on just focusing on the good things that are happening and not talk about death, not talk about your cancer, not talk about what didn't you eat today. You know, I had to learn to really focus on the positive things for each day. And it was really, really taxing. And I just... During that time, I just, like I said, my nutrition, my health habits, I actually started smoking with him because it was easier to smoke with him than to complain about him smoking. And I uh, picked up smoking again after I had been off cigarettes for probably four years. And I was just kind of disappointed in myself that I did. I was actually, I lied. I I mean, I I was off cigarettes for, I think, about three years. Um, but it just felt like it was something that I could, it would just, it was like, do I smoke or do I drink and take medication? Because there were multiple times, you guys, I got to tell you, when he was sick, I would have handfuls of medicine that, that were for him to help him with his pain, his nausea, his, you know, his stuff. And I would just think, man, this would be awesome to just check out. And I knew if I, honestly, if I took the medication he was taking, I probably would have died because there was so much of it. He was a big guy compared to me, but 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 I knew that I needed to be present and do everything I could to be present for him. And so, as he went through the process, like I said, my diet consisted of <laughs> popsicles and candy bars on the back porch smoking. Um, and that's really awful to, t- to tell you that because I've gone through you know addiction. I get into recovery. We're on a health journey. We're working out. We're doing great. And then here comes the tragedy of of of, addic- of uh, cancer. And of course, I don't think, you know, I don't think anybody, you know, signs up and says, like I said, in my last podcast, I didn't say, Hey, I want to be an addict. I didn't sign up for that. And I don't think anybody signs up for cancer either. And I don't think anybody, you know, none of us knows what that journey is going to look like. And so as, as time got closer for him to pass, you know, we tried to make arrangements. I tried to make the arrangements talking to him vaguely about, Hey, if you die, if you leave, if you go away, because we didn't really talk about death. We didn't talk about, you know, dying. Um, but we try to make funeral arrangements with a living person is really, really hard. And talk about depression. Talk about feeling scared all the time and not knowing one day to the next what was going to happen. And I and I have a story, and I'll share this, and then I'll kind of move into what it, what happened with me after his passing. I remember one night he was really having a tough time and couldn't get comfortable. And and you have to remember that this man is a six foot two, you know. 200 pound man, 225 pounds because of steroids and he's big and he, I can't move him by myself. I'm not a very big girl. I'm 125 pounds and I'm five foot four dripping wet and he's not feeling well and he can't get comfortable. And so I administer some medication that I was told he could have. And then he almost stopped breathing. I was like, Oh crap. And of course I'm terrified. So I'm calling the people that can help me. And of course they were wonderful. Hospice is amazing. Uh, they called me, I they, they said, you know, it's okay. He's comfortable, he's sleeping, he's still breathing, and if he doesn't stop, if he stops breathing, it will be the blessing. And I was like, no, no, it won't be a blessing, because then I'll have just killed somebody. And they're like, no, 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 it's not you. You're doing everything you can to help. And I got to tell you, the emotional roller coaster that I rode for that last six to eight months of his life, it was there was hope. And then there would be no hope. There was depression, and then there would be excitement. It was just this roller coaster of emotions about what were we going to deal with the next time? Well, and 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 at the end, he um, he had fallen asleep in his lazy boy, and I thought he had uh, slept into a coma. So his doctor came and did a house call, and his mother came by, and his friends came by, and they the doctor actually did the house call. The ambulance came and picked him up the next day and took him to the hospital. And a lot of friends came to say goodbye and. he took his last breath, it was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to experience in my life. Um, Because I knew, I knew that, you know, my goal was to be with him no matter what. I was not leaving him because I had made a vow and a commitment that I loved him and I would never leave him. If I cry, it's going to be okay. So as he took his last breath, as I told him it was okay to go, I said, it's okay to go. I'm going to be fine. I realized that in that last breath he took, it wasn't him that I wanted to die. It was the cancer that I wanted to die. And I wanted him to stay. And when he took that last breath, I changed my mind. I'm like, no, no, no. I lied. I lied. I lied. Come back, come back, come back. Right. Of course, there's obviously no way that's going to happen. But it was a very emotional time. And I, after he passed, even that day, I started second guessing myself. Did I do the right thing? Is he going to heaven? Is he going to be okay? Where's he at? What are we going to do? And I mean, it just, oh, you guys, I was a train wreck. And while he was sick and going through these treatments, and while he was sick and dying, I, like I said, started counseling. I got into massage therapy. I tried to do everything I could for myself. I tried to give myself breaks. I tried to take vacations, like mini vacations, like go and stay away for a night somewhere and have someone else come in and, and spend the day with him or the evening with him. Um, and then I tried really hard to also take some time off from work, which was practically impossible. And, um, when he did pass, I did. I, I took five weeks off of work and and just needed to figure out where I was going to go and what I wonder who am I, after being in this relationship for all those years with this amazing amazing man, and for the next year, I, um, again. When he died, I was hundred pounds dripping wet, five foot four. Again, here I am looking like I was when I first got into recovery, you know, very sick. I looked, I thought I looked great, but man, I look back and I go, that was sickly. I was so malnourished. And for that next year, what I did was I did all the things that I was told not to do. And I think I might've shared this on my last podcast. I was told, don't make any changes because you've just made the biggest life change ever, which is becoming a widow. And I didn't meet any widows who were 28 years old at that time in my life. That was pretty uncommon. Right. And I had joined a couple of grief groups that nobody had could relate. I just felt like an outcast. I felt isolated and alone because nobody had been on this journey like I had been. And in that la- that year after his passing, I just, I quit my job. I moved to another city, gave up my dog, bought a car. I started dating anybody who would talk to me, which was dumb. Um, But I did all these things that were not really good and healthy for me. And so, again, I went into this spiral, and I spiraled for that year. And there was a time that I thought, you know, it would just be easier just to check out. It would be easier just to go to heaven with Dan. And I, again, kind of had that same thought of, I can do this. I can check out. I can leave this planet right? I could kill myself. And what I kept hearing over and over was this small voice that said, Dan didn't have a choice. And it is painful. It is so painful. You are in so much pain. If you commit murder, if you commit suicide, if you die intentionally, can you imagine the pain of the people who love you? If you feel like this, how are they going to feel? Because you made a selfish choice. And those things just kept over and over and and over. And I just was like, okay, you're right. I can't do that. I cannot inflict that on anybody else. And during that time, a lot of people loved me and supported me. I went to a lot of 12-step meetings and I cried. For two years, I cried in meetings about my husband dying. Even when I got into my current relationship with my current husband, he was very wonderful and supporting and sometimes there was a, a a point in our relationship in the very beginning. He said, I feel like I'm competing with a dead man. And that is really kind of awkward. And I'm like, I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine. But he was so supportive. And he loved me through that process. And I didn't, I have not had a drug and out. I have not had a relapse. I have been able to maintain my sobriety and my recovery through that entire process. The thing I will share with you is I actually participated in other crazy extreme behavior, like multiple relationships. I just kept getting from one, one relationship to another, to another, I started shopping obsessively. I cleaned my bathrooms obsessively. You could eat off the toilet. I mean, it was crazy. My house was so organized and I just was, I was constantly, I became a human doing instead of a human being. Because if I was doing something, I didn't have to feel the pain, and I had a lot of great friends that just surrounded me and loved me and supported me and just kept telling me it's going to be okay, you're going to get through this, it's going to be fine. I got into therapy, still in therapy with a new counselor. Continued to go to meetings and continued to talk about him, and and wrote him love letters and did everything that I was told to do, and um, you know it was was it hard? Yeah. It was really hard. It's probably the hardest thing. You know, I look back at my life and I look back at addiction. I look back at getting clean. I look back at at going through treatment and I look at his cancer. And I think, you know, I've had some, I've done some really hard things in my life. And, and, And burying someone you love has probably been one of the hardest things that I've done. And I don't wish that on anybody at all. But I will tell you that after i had was able to process some of that i was actually able to get back in the gym get back into working out get back into doing good things for myself it took me a couple of years and then god this is another part of my story you guys probably i may or may not have shared this at any time god saw that you know i needed to have a child and my husband and i when we met i was like i'm not having kids we're not doing this no 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 not this this woman will not birth kim no but god said i have another plan for you and he gave me a, a child who's actually my nephew at the age uh, of 16 months we intervened my little sister is is was is still in addiction we intervened in, in my my nephew's life and we took him home and at the age of 3 she called and said can you keep him forever and i was like are you dying?" And she's like, no, I just can't. I just don't have it in me to do. I just don't have it in me to raise this child because I can't even take care of myself. Because she, of course, was living on the streets in her addiction. And this is my fifteen-year, my sister who's 15 years younger than I am. So my husband and I were like, what are we going to do? Send him out on the streets? What are we going to do with this beautiful three-year-old baby we've had for you know, the last year? So we raised him. And we've, we've had some severe issues with him. We've had some serious problems. But today, those issues have turned around. And that's another complete podcast, if you ever want to hear about it, that we have actually been able to come through by the glory of God and some other amazing programs that we were introduced to. And he's a 24-year-old thriving young man working in social services, doing what God did for him when he was in his adolescence. So it's a great story. Maybe sometime we'll talk about it. But I'll tell you, my health journey has, again, it's been up and down, up and down. And I think that that's really like the seasons of life. You know, there are seasons where I have been very focused on my health and there's other seasons where it doesn't matter. The only thing that's important right now is getting up every day and, and being able to catch my breath and do the next right thing. So there's, a, there's my health journey about cancer. And I, if you have questions, please feel free to ask. Yeah. Janet?
2: Yeah. So as I'm listening to this, one of the things that comes to mind is um, that in this journey, you've learned to be honest to yourself because I feel like the addiction part took away your honesty to how you were feeling and how you were processing things. Would you say that that is what's being resolved is being truthful to Because people around us see what's happening, but sometimes within our own mind and brain and emotions, we just can't connect those things. Do you think that is what you've done through this journey?
1: I do. I think that, um, this journey has done so many things in so many different areas. And like you said, being honest and real with myself is is really something that's, I mean, I've had to, I don't have any other choice, but to look at really what is happening in my life and where am I and how is that affecting me? So that's, that's a true statement. Yeah.
2: Well, I also feel like what I'm hearing too, is that you've also forgiven yourself for things that, you know, you let go of and, that, okay, I'm, I'm going to shift and I'm going to get refocused. Um, and, and I don't know how you made those shifts or points, but it sounds like staying grounded with therapy or with other people with what you learned, you just kept pulling you into that.
1: You know, at, at different seasons and different times, there were things that actually happened that I was like, okay, I, I can't stand feeling like this. I can't stand bending over, tying my shoes and losing my breath. Like I can't chase my son up the stairs. Cause I almost die at the top of six stairs. So there have been things like you said, that have just points along the way that I've been like, okay, I can't keep living this way. I've got to do something different. And I, and then, and, and sometimes denial is a wonderful thing. I believe that denial is something that keeps us. And I don't want to say denial is a wonderful thing, but I believe that we can only input and, and take in so much negative information or negative or fearful things or things in our lives. Like when my husband died, I knew that if I felt the grief all at once, if I felt his grief all at one time, I would not be able to survive. And I believe that it is doled out to me in little pieces so that I can digest it, so that I can make the changes that I need to, that I can survive those feelings. And I think that seasons in my life have been, things have been revealed to me so that I can make change. And, you know, I say this to everybody that I meet when I tell them my story about my husband dying from cancer, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened. And I said, you know, I am too. But the beautiful thing, the most beautiful thing about my husband passing is that I have the amazing life I have today. And I know you, and that's what I believe. I believe that that is part of the story in the season. That's part of my story. and My journey is had he not passed. I wouldn't be where I am today and I wouldn't have the relationships and the amazing things that I have today. And it took me a couple of years to get to that point because I started speaking that over my life at about year 4 or 5 after his passing because I had to find something positive because if I kept dwelling on oh he's dead, oh he's dead, oh he's dead, woe is me, woe is me, where would the I could if I didn't focus on the gifts then it would be hard for me to keep living in the, in the, in the, in the depression. So I don't know if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, no, that, that, that's a very inspiring story and a good, um, you know, I, I guess a good motto that, uh, you know, you have to, uh, be positive and, you know, obviously you've had some, you know, tragedies in your life and you've still mm-hmm. able to come through and, and deal with them. And is there Anything that you can say, you know, I can tell you that my life is not definitely as tragic as yours has been and yet you've overcome. Is there anything that you can say is is there one thing that kept you going or or, you know, can you uh, speak to that?
1: You know, I think what it is is the people I surrounded myself with. And I got to tell you, when I got into recovery and I was sitting in that treatment group that one day that I think I might've shared about, and I said, they said, one in 35 of you is going to stay clean. One in 35 of you is going to be successful. I literally, I got to tell you, I didn't have a relationship with God at the time. I knew I had a higher power because that's what they taught me in, in in treatment was you have a higher power of God that has protected you through all the crazy stuff you went through, which I could see. <laughs> because there was some crazy stuff we did. But when they said 1 in 35 of you will make it, I just remember literally outside of that 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 outside when we were having that lecture, I remember just looking up and saying, "God, I want to be that one. God, I want to be that one." And I've made a commitment to myself every year of my recovery, I'm going to see another year. I'm going to see another year. I always have set that goal for myself and then to surround myself with people who knew that was what I wanted. That has been a blessing. And then I think the thing that really has really catapulted my life is my relationship with God. It has grown exponentially and it has gotten so much bigger. And my love for people and my desire to help people through difficulties has really given me purpose. And I, and, and that's what I felt when I went into training to be a drug and alcohol counselor was my life purpose was to help other people. If I can get clean and walk through the stuff I'm walking through, anybody can get clean and walk through this. And after my husband passed, after Dan passed away, I had only been in recovery about four years, and I'd only been in the treatment field for two. I made it a mission to just continue to help people. And then that mission just got bigger when I left the treatment field. Then I went into personal training again. My goal is to help people. And not only do I help people with their health and wellness, I help people with life. As as having counseling background, I think the purpose is to always know, for me, it was like, what is my purpose in life? What is it I'm supposed to do while I'm here? And I think that has really pushed me every year to just keep pushing towards that. So I think purpose is huge and goals. If you have goals, life is so much easier. That's what I think. Sorry, Jen, you're
2: gonna say something. Oh, I was yeah, just to build on that, I, I agree with what you're saying about purpose because I think all human beings need a purpose in their life and it does keep you focused to you know try to accomplish that goals. And you know, whether somebody's journey is as tragic that you walk through or not, there's still something at the end of that tunnel for all of us. And so it's just amazing to hear um, your journey and what you've accomplished and where you are today. and I appreciate you sharing that because somebody out there today needs to hear. Um, there's hope. I think um, just in the past few years, we've been living on fear throughout the world. And, you know, in these times, I think hope really is what we're looking for uh, to accomplish, you know, that journey of getting from one side to the coin to the other to where you know, we feel like we are purposeful. We have joy in life. We can live. It's not always going to be doom and gloom. Yeah. And,
0: and that is praise, true. God for you, praise God for you, Lori, and praise God for your story and, and that you can share it and inspire others. Um, you know, it's a very, very powerful story. So in, as we finish up this series, uh, this last minute we, or so we have, so how does somebody find their purpose? Do you have any idea how you can help somebody find their purpose in life?
1: you know that's a loaded question you know that don't you (laughs) (laughs) it it took me some time to figure that out you know i i i I, jeez you know sean that could be a whole podcast right Right, right. (laughs) one minute Mm -hmm. you know i think for me i've always had um a heart to help people i've always done something in the service industry whether it's I was a maid, I was a waitress, I worked with developmentally disabled people and I think I shared that before. And then going into counseling and then going into training and then my current job as as a health coach is just, it's constantly about encouraging and motivating and serving people. And I think if you know what you love, if you know what brings you joy when you do it, I believe that for me, when I started really focusing on why am I doing this, it's because I felt like, you know. Me giving back was what was important. Me serving people gave me a sense of joy and purpose. So that's what it was for me. And and, and I, I don't know how to tell people how to find that. I just, like I said, we could probably do a podcast. We could have a question and answer series on that. So I,
0: yeah, I, I love the whole topic of purpose. And I agree with you is that um, you need to find out what your purpose in life is. And, and you'll probably have a passion for that same subject. Um, and I just love what you have to say about, you know, being a servant. I mean, we, we are created. I believe that we are created to be servants to others. Um, and you just got to find out, you know, what, what exactly the details of that is, where, where should you be a servant to others? Although really everywhere, we should be a servant to others. so. So I agree. I appreciate you, Sharon, and we would love to have you on. We already talked about a couple more subjects today that we can, we can have a podcast on. So I would love to, uh, have you on again. So we'll, we'll definitely stay in touch. So thank you for sharing your stories
1: some more today. You are so welcome. And I so appreciate you asking me to to share with you guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Love it.
0: it. Uh, well, listeners and viewers, so Thursday, tune in 9 to 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. We have Kathy Coat on. She is a personal trainer and she specializes in online training and menopause and weight loss. So you do not want to miss out on that episode 9 to 10 o'clock. Uh, AM Pacific Standard Time. Uh, Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. You've been tuning in today. Tune in again Thursday and every Monday, twelve thirty to one thirty, uh, Pacific Standard Time. Here at the Moses Professional Pharmacy Studio. Thank you for listening. <music>